0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to City of Hope Church Sunday Service Online. We're so glad that you could be with us here again this morning. Obviously, we're looking forward to uh, getting back into the sanctuary with you here pretty soon to have service together in person. But for the time being, just for safety reasons, uh, we're glad to be with you here online. And and don't forget that this Wednesday, just like last Wednesday, we're going to have a a prayer meeting online on Zoom. So if if you would like to join that, there'll be a link available on our Facebook page. If you have any questions, uh, prayer requests, or concerns, if you need anything from us, please don't hesitate to message us here on our Facebook page. And we just thank you guys so much for supporting us through this this entire season. You guys have been such a blessing, and we love our church family and and the folks that are with us. But if you'd like to continue to give, uh, you can give online if you would like. Cityofhopechurch.org. Just click uh, the giving tab, and it'll link you directly to that. Or you can send us a check in the mail to P.O. Box 280. Manchester Kentucky 40962 but once again thanks for joining us this morning we're so glad that you could be with us and uh, we've been in a sermon series here recently called Under the Sway Under the Sway and specifically we're coming from first John 5:19 when it says that we know we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we've talked about spiritual warfare, but we've sort of talked about spiritual warfare in, in different aspects than you usually would because we have, we've discussed politics and we've discussed social media and how things are at work in our world around us to sway us in a direction away from the ways of God. And what I want to talk about specifically today is I want to talk about voices Because we're living in a time where there are honestly many, many voices that are competing for your attention. These voices are competing for your allegiance. And these voices are trying to instruct you. They're trying to persuade you. They're trying to lead you and maybe even manipulate and deceive you. And so it's so important that not only do we listen to and evaluate and discern the voices that we're listening to, but we make sure that we're listening to the proper voice. See, if, if we as Christians are going to be able to stand in the days that we're living in that's full of, of just unrest and, and deception and sickness and news media that's running rampant, spreading all kinds of maybe even misinformation and different things like that, we have to know what we were designed for originally. Uh, Even in the very beginning, the first thing that we got to understand as Christian people is that we were designed. For communion with God. We were designed to live in and from the presence of God. Life began in the Garden of Eden with a face-to-face encounter in the presence of God. And it says in the very beginning in Genesis that God made man in His image. He made man, He made woman in His image and after His likeness. And when He made us, He knelt down, the scripture says, and He blessed us. Literally in the Hebrew it says that He knelt down and He adored us. And when He breathed the breath of life into us, the first thing that Adam saw whenever he took that first breath was he was looking into the face of God and God placed Adam, Adam Adam in the Hebrew language it means human And Eve means life in the Hebrew language. So he took all of human life essentially is what Adam and Eve represent. And he placed them in the Garden of Eden. Eden means pleasure because they were designed by God to bear the image of God. And as long as they worshiped God, they gave their communion to God and and, and they were walking in communion with him in that garden. They had the ability to take authority over the earth to cultivate beautiful things, to set everything in order. And as long as they were in communion with God, they would reflect the goodness and the love and the very nature of God and they would cause this earth to reflect heaven, and that was what they were. They, that's what they were here for. They were ambassadors of God. We are ambassadors of God, sent here to reflect the very image and love of God, out of communion with Him, and make this world steward this world in such a way that this world would reflect heaven. That is our mandate as human beings made in God's image. But it all takes place. We maintain authority and we steward this earth because we have communion with God. And the thing that I fear most, just even as a pastor right now, is is whenever we don't have church service and different things like that. Now, i got to be honest with you. Just because people come to church on Sunday does not mean that they have a personal relationship and communion with God. And you've got to understand more than anything that, that e- even when it comes to this message or watching a message online, thank God for that. But right now, Christian people have got to come awake and understand that they must have a relationship and a communion with God in the secret place that overflows into every other area of their life. And out of that place of communion with God. You're going to know God. You're going to be filled with the love of God. You're going to experience His presence. You're going to be transformed into the image of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to make your family, your workplace, the world around you reflect heaven just a little bit more. Why? Because you understand that the one voice that you are made to hear is the voice of your Heavenly Father who loves you and created you and designed you for a specific purpose. But this is why in the midst of that garden, in the midst of that place where they were set there to produce fruit, to produce good fruit, to reflect the image of God, the serpent enters in and the serpent always comes in and how he seeks to destroy things is by speaking. He has a voice and what he wants to do is interrupt you and distract you from hearing the voice of God. And right now we've got so many competing voices in our world that seek to interrupt that worship and communion that you have between you and God. And right now I'm telling you, more than anything, once again, you've got to make sure that nothing interrupts your communion with God in the secret place. Because the voice that you listen to is ultimately the voice that defines you. The voice that you listen to is ultimately the voice that defines you. One one guy said to me one time, he said, Clay, God will never ever compete with the voices that you allow to compete with His voice. So you have to be aware of the voices that are, that are active in your life that you're listening to, whether it's through social media or the news or television or the people that you spend time with, what they're saying, the, the indoctrination that's coming through, uh, what maybe you're even learning from your college professor, college students. All of these different voices are competing for your allegiance, for your time. But see, the voice of God is where we get our identity from. It's where we get who we are from. It's where we make choices based on what we should do in life. What we should believe. We've got to hear the voice of God, but the voice you listen to is the voice that ultimately is going to define you. Oswald Chambers said this right here. He said that the root of all evil is the suspicion that God is not good. Because the first voice that came into that garden, other than the voice, of God whenever Adam and Eve were were living together in in the presence of God and communion with God the first voice that came into that garden was a voice from the serpent that said did God really say basically he's trying to get you to question and, and be suspicious about the fact of whether or not God is good and not only that whether or not God has your best interest in mind he said maybe God's holding out on you maybe God is not telling you some things because he knows that if you were to do this if you were to do what he told you not to do that ultimately you'd be like God's and you could decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. See, right now, the sway of the wicked one is telling the entire world that we should be live without restraint. Everybody should live their own truth and ultimately every single person should be able to decide for themselves what is good and what is evil and religion is oppressive and Christianity is oppressive. But let me tell you something. The truth of God, even though He does give us some commandments and there are some things where He says, don't do that. He says, don't do that because if you do do those things, He knows that you are no longer going to be free but you are going to become a a slave of sin, a slave of the enemy and you're going to begin to bow down to a voice that ultimately seeks to oppress and destroy you and he seeks to to steal, to kill and to destroy but anything that God tells you to do or don't do is because he wants you to have life and he wants you to have it more abundantly and that's the truth that he speaks to us but we begin to believe, man, that maybe God isn't good. Maybe these ways aren't that great. Maybe what, what these other voices are telling me is actually the truth. And that's what happened in the garden of Eden. And they believed it and they acted upon these lies. And as soon as they acted upon it and they sinned, their lives were radically changed. They actually hid themselves from the presence of God and they tried to clothe themselves because they felt shame. In Genesis 3, 8, it says this, it says, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. See, the voice of the Lord God is in the presence of the Lord. You're going to hear God's voice when you get alone with God, when you open the Bible, when you begin to pray, when you begin to call upon the Lord, when you spend time in worship, when you turn worship music on and you're alone with the Lord, or maybe you're in a gathering of people with the Lord and you begin to open the Word of God, you can hear the voice of the Lord in His presence. But see, when we listen to other voices and when we let sin begin to contaminate our lives, there's something in us where we will actually begin to seek to hide ourselves from the presence of the Lord and from the voice of the Lord. And right now we have a world that does not know the goodness of God, that does not know how Jesus Christ has come to die on their behalf in place of them for their sins so that they can be reconciled to the Father. And they are running from the love of God the Father, choosing the things of this world, choosing the demonic voices that are in this world, and they're hiding from the presence of God and from the voice of God. And so you hear these voices that are at work and you've got to ask yourself, what is actually keeping you from God's presence? Because if right now you as a Christian person, as a follower of Jesus, are not spending time in communion with the Father, you are listening to another voice. Another voice is competing for your attention and it is gaining it. But let me give you the first voice that we've got to deal with, that we have got to resist in the days that we're living in. The first voice that seeks to sway us is the voice of accusation, the voice of accusation. Now this is an interesting one because Satan is not literally a name that is given to a person. The the angel Lucifer, right, he was given a title called the Satan, the Satan, because Satan in the Hebrew language means literally accuser. It means accuser or opponent. In Revelation 12:10, it says it like this. And, and, and John is trying to display what Satan actually is. He said, I heard a loud voice. Notice he hears a loud voice saying in heaven. This is, this is probably an angel. But this angel says, now salvation and strength. And the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Now that's a true statement, but notice this. He says, for the accuser of our brethren, he gives him a title. His his title is the accuser of of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And when you hear the voice of accusation, you are hearing the voice of the enemy. That's why his first accusation on the garden of Eden was ultimately, his first accusation was against God. And he did it very subtly, very deceptively. But he said, did God really say? He's bringing an accusation against the nature and against the character of God. And see, this is one of the first thing that for one of the first accusations that satan is going to bring up he's going to bring up roughly about five different types of accusations let me show you here but the first thing that he does is he accuses god to you in other words he tells you look god isn't doesn't really have your best interest in mind if god was really good why would he allow this to happen to you he accuses God. He accuses his nature, his character, his goodness. He even accuses his dwelling place. But he's trying to convince you that God is not for you, that God is against you, that God doesn't really love you, that God doesn't have your best interest in, in mind. If he did, you wouldn't be in the type of pain that you're in. But see, ultimately, what Satan loves to do is he loves to cause sin, pain, pain. Uh, hurt, trauma, all of these evils in the world and then he loves to turn it and accuse God and blame God for allowing these things to happen so that you'll distance yourself from God. But the other type of, of accusation that he brings is he accuses you to God. He is the accuser of the brethren. He's going to accuse me. He's going to accuse you. And he accuses us to God as if to say, look, God, these these people are not worthy of your love. They're not worthy of your grace. Look at what they've done. And he will always bring up your past. He will always bring up your sin. And oftentimes he will even imitate the voice of God as if to seem like God is angry at you, like God has rejected you. And he will accuse you to God. Thirdly, he will accuse you. To others, He will plant seeds of discord and and seeds of of suspicion or maybe even seeds of anger to make other people be suspicious of you and even your character or your nature so that he can cause a divide. And in the same way, he will accuse others to you. He will convince you that others are talking about you, that others don't like you, that that maybe this person, you shouldn't be uh, loving them or caring for them. He will accuse others to you so that you will begin to devalue another human being And then lastly, he will accuse you to you. He will tell you just how much of a piece of garbage you are. His goal is to make you feel worthless with accusations. His goal is to make you feel distant from God separated from God, that you're not loved by God, so that you will no longer come into the presence of God. See, as soon as as Adam and Eve sinned, it's the picture of human life. As soon as they sinned, they felt ashamed, they realized they were naked, they heard that voice of accusation, and they distanced themselves from God, from the love of God, and from the presence of God. Now let me tell you something, right now in our world, the voice of accusation is at work and very prevalent throughout our world, throughout our nation, and it is used in Politics, it's used in the media. If you turn on the television, you look at politics and media, the voice of accusation is just going back and forth, and it's used to criticize, it's used to condemn, it's used to devalue and demean one another in order to mar the image of God in another person. You hear it come out like people calling each other liars, or bigots, or homophobes, or xenophobes, or racists, and it is given, accusations are given in order to devalue and demean a person whether it's true or not, to make a person look down on someone else, maybe even to elevate themselves. But ultimately, the voice of accusation, it breeds anger. It breeds resentment. It breeds suspicion, division, and ultimately even hatred. And it causes us to not love one another and not view each other as made in the image of God. But see, what you've got to understand is that God's voice and our voice should never be, and God's voice never is, the voice of accusation, but God's voice is a voice of reconciliation. God's voice and our voice should be a voice of reconciliation. And that means that yes, your sin has separated you from God. We tell that to the entire world that we've got an issue and our issue is sin. We've sinned against God. We have have separated ourselves from a loving God. But just like Adam and Eve, it is not God that separated himself from us. We separated ourselves from God. We hid from God's presence, but God came after them in the garden. He pursued them because of his great love for them. And when they hid themselves in the garden, God comes after them and says, where are are you? And right now he's asking people, where are you? Don't you know and understand that I loved you so much that I gave my only begotten son, that I know you felt rejected, you felt ashamed, but I've come to clothe you in my righteousness and my blood was shed so that you could be forgiven of your sins and be reconciled back into the Father, back into the presence of God. And see, it's a it's a beautiful thing because on the cross, Jesus took our sin, he took our shame and he took everything away every right that satan had to condemn us see satan could come and he could condemn us and he could hold our sins against us but see when he crucified jesus and jesus took our sin jesus was not worthy of crucifixion he was not worthy of death because he had never sinned but when he took on that punishment even though he had never sinned see there was a reversal that took place and jesus Paid our charge so that when Satan now brings accusation against you because of your past sin, God looks at it and says, guess what, Satan? I'm sorry, but that debt has already been paid in full. You can no longer bring that against him. You can no longer hold that against him. See, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, one could only enter the presence of God and come into the presence of God. One high priest could enter in one day out of the year on the day of atonement and he would offer up the, the sacrifice on the day of the atonement and the presence of God would come down and they say, they say he, Hebrew history says that they would tie a rope around this man's leg because they were afraid to enter into the presence of God for fear that they might die and they might have to pull his dead body out for entering into the presence of God but what you've got to understand is on the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross when he stood up there he stood up and he cried out and he declared it is finished and when he declared it is finished there was a different sacrifice that had that was brought before the Father and that veil that separated us from the presence of God was torn from top to bottom And, and it was torn in half as if to say now you have full access into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why Hebrews 10 says, Now having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which He consecrated for us Through the veil of His flesh. See, the old way was don't come near to God lest you die because you don't deserve to be near Him. But Jesus took your place, His blood was shed, and now there is a new and living way, and it says, Look, even if you are sinful, even if you have sinned in the past, because we all have, the blood of Jesus has paid the price and it is finished, and you have free access into the presence of God. Even when you struggle, even when you've fallen, even when you failed, and there will be a voice of accusation that says, You don't deserve to be here, but the blood of Jesus says different. It says there's a new and living way and you now have boldness to say, God, I know I don't deserve to be here, but Jesus has made a way for me to access your presence. And the more you come into the presence of God and hear that voice of love speaking over you, the more you are transformed. That's why you cannot afford to listen to the voice of accusation that tells you to stay out of the presence of God. You are loved by God. I know you've sinned. I know you have failed. I know you've fallen. But the voice of God says the price has been paid. You're now the righteousness of God in Christ and you can freely come into the presence of God. This is why when Paul talks about spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, we talked about the belt of truth and the shoes of the gospel of peace last week. But this week I want to cover the others. But this is why he says in in chapter 6 verse 14, he says to make sure you have put on the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate, breastplate protects your heart. And and in 1 John 3, 21, it says, If our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence toward God. See, Satan's one of his one of his main tactics is he's going to bring accusations against you to make you feel like you have no confidence in God. You have no confidence toward God and your heart condemns you so that you feel like God is not going to extend his grace to you. He's not going to extend his mercy to you. He's not going to bless you because you've not prayed enough. You've not done enough. You've not been a good enough Christian. You've sinned too much. But see, when our heart no longer condemns us because we know we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then we know that we have confidence toward God because of what Jesus has done for us. We are blessed and we're not blessed because of what we've done. We are blessed because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. He became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. One of my favorite examples in scripture of of this truth, this reality is in uh, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. I want to read through this really quickly with you, but it says in Zechariah chapter 3, It says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, the accuser, standing at his right hand to accuse him. Now, just hold that verse just for a second. We'll run through the rest. But Satan, literally in the Hebrew, is the accuser, right? That's what Satan means. And if you read this verse in the Hebrew, it says that Satan was standing at his right hand to Satan him. Because the word accuse is the same word as Satan. That's his name. And you see this man standing in the presence of God and Satan standing there to bring accusation against him. But notice what he says in the next verses. Verse 2 says, Then the Lord said to Satan, not Joshua the high priest, but the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, I'm the one, Satan, that has pulled this one from the fire. You don't get to bring a judgment or accusation against him because I've chosen him. And here's what he says next. He says, Now Joshua was was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. See, this represents our sin. This represents our guilt. This represents our shame that we've been clothed in. And we're standing before the presence of the Lord. Next verse. And then the angel said to those who were standing before him, "'Take off his filthy clothes.' Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are clothed with the robe of righteousness. You, are put on, you have put on the breastplate of righteousness, and no longer can Satan bring any accusation against you to keep you away from the favor of God, away from the presence of God, away from the goodness of God, because God himself has plucked you out of the fire, and he has clothed you not with your own self-righteousness, but with the very, the very righteousness of Christ. Jesus did not deserve to take on your sin, and in the same way you do not deserve to wear his righteousness, but an exchange has taken place at the cross. And this is why in Isaiah 54, 17, one of everybody's favorite verses, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue, notice, see, it is a tongue, it's a speech, it's a voice that is going to rise against you in judgment. It says you shall condemn these voices. Why? Because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me. See, righteousness is a gift that is given to you through faith in Christ. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you can deserve. Yes, ultimately, it produces holy living in us so that we live rightly, we live according to God's word. But on day one, you may be the biggest sinner in the world, and on day one that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are washed and cleansed from your filthiness, from all sin and unrighteousness, and God clothes you in that righteousness. Go back to that verse just for a moment. It says right here, that their righteousness is from me. See, no weapon. The weapons that are formed against you are oftentimes voices that seek to get you distant from God, distant from the presence of God, and to come into a place where you're no longer hearing from God. Secondly, I want, I want to share with you that the second voice is the voice of fear. The voice of fear. So we have the voice of accusation and we have the voice of fear. And you are designed by God to make decisions based on faith that works through love. But Satan's desire and his strategy is to use fear to wire you to make decisions based on fear. And right now in our world, I'm telling you, more and more folks are making decisions based on fear rather than they are on faith and on love. And we're, we're wired for faith and love, folks. We're wired to believe in God, to trust God, and ultimately to love God and love people and make all of our decisions based on that. But right now, there is such a sway in the news media and throughout our world with sickness and disease. And all of these fears are being released. In 1 John 4, 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been made perfect in love. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out this fear. So he says fear involves punishment, fear involves torment, in other words, in other words, fear has to do with the fact that you feel like some type of harm is going to come your way, whether it's, whether it's a loss of loss of health or sickness or even death right now, the, the fear of death, the fear of sickness and disease, the fear of financial loss, the fear that, that some kind of harm is going to come to you and your family right now is running rampant and causing mass anxiety throughout our world. And on some level, what the scripture is teaching is that when we enter into that kind of fear where we where we fear torment or some kind of harm comes upon us that we're really not made perfect in love. Because somewhere or another, we misunderstand the goodness of God, not realizing that no matter what comes into my life, God, I'm a child of God, and God loves me more than I could ever imagine. And no matter what happens to me, God has my best interest in mind. And worst case scenario, I'm going to go to be with Him eternally forever and ever. And so when we're functioning out of fear, we're not functioning the way that God would have us to function. Now, fear is believing, and I say this all the time, but fear is actually believing that the devil has more ability to harm you than God does to protect and bless you. When you're operating out of fear, you no longer have faith in God. You have faith in the ability of the devil or sickness or disease or death to do what it needs to in your life, to bring it in and to cause harm and destruction in your life. But see, this is why the most numerous command in Scripture, 365 times God says, Do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not be afraid. He says it over and over and over again because he's trying to get it instilled in our lives and understand that one of the enemy's greatest tactics against you is to come with the voice of fear because he will cripple you from moving forward in in God's plans and God's purposes for your life and you will live in trepidation and intimidation, standing back, never taking a, a step of faith, believing God for greater things because you are afraid of what might possibly happen to you. Fear is a destructive thing. It's a wonderful tactic that the enemy uses to try to get us uh, to, to doubt God's goodness. It leads us into doubt. It leads us into unbelief. And see, when fear infiltrates your mind and your heart, when you listen to the voice of fear, it causes you to look into the future and you don't see any good. And when you don't see any good, you start to literally imagine the worst case scenarios. What if this happens? What if that happens? Well, that could happen. And rather than imagining all the good that could happen of what God would have you to do, you start to imagine all the possible terrible things that could happen when fear begins to take over. And fear then gets into your heart and it causes you to speak out of your mouth and prophesy a destiny that God has not planned for us. We actually begin to speak evil and speak the enemy's plans and begin to speak curses over our family over our nation. We begin to declare all the terrible things that are going to happen alongside with the enemy and we partner with him. And then fear actually infiltrates. And what fear does is it ruins our relationships and it makes us emo- emotionally fragile and isolated. We get fearful. We distance ourselves from people. We get isolated. We start, we start to, to, to try to just protect ourselves the best way that we can because we're no longer trusting God to protect us. So we try to figure out how we can do it, but yet we're anxious on the inside. We're, we're, we're upset. Our relationships are, are, are fragile, and then it makes us selfish. We begin to turn inward, thinking only about self, and we stop. We stop thinking about others and how we can love others and reach out to others with the gospel. But lastly, you got to understand that fear is a spirit that needs to be resisted and needs to be stood against. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But see, when people hear that voice of fear, a lot of times they embrace it they begin to agree with it and they allow it to move them into doubt and unbelief. And this is why when Paul talks about spiritual warfare, he says in Ephesians six sixteen that above all, you need to take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts Of the wicked one. See, the enemy is bringing so many fiery darts. He's using this coronavirus, but Lord knows that's not the only thing that He's using right now to instill fear in people and to hardwire us to think according to fear. We start to look at our future, and the Bible even says that in in the last days, the days that we're living in, that men's hearts would begin to fail them for fear of things that are coming upon the earth. But see, we're the children of God, and and we are not unbelieving, and we are not fearful or cowardly because we stand in faith in Christ and we believe that no matter what comes, God will have us prepared and he will reveal his glory through us. But we have got to be sure that we take the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, the fiery darts are often, they they often just come in thoughts because we understand that when we talk about spiritual warfare, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 10 that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. These strongholds are mental ideologies and mental frameworks their frameworks, their ways of thinking that are contrary to the knowledge of God. And the scripture says that we are to take every argument, every, every, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so when he comes with these fearful thoughts, when he comes with these thoughts of sickness or death, or condemnation or whatever it may be. He is trying to get you to lay your shield of faith down so that he can shoot you essentially with these spiritual darts. But see... I remember when I was a kid, I watched these, I watched uh, westerns all the time with my dad, and you'd see the cowboys and Indians fighting at one another. And one of the things that I remember is how the Indians, oftentimes, they were standing up against these dudes with guns, and they they, they were likely going to lose the battle. But what they would do is they would run around to bring about confusion, and they would often shoot uh, fiery arrows to set uh, carriages on fire, because if they could get distracted with the fire, with these fiery arrows, these fiery darts, then, then they wouldn't be able to focus on them and focus on what they really need to fight. And see, there are so many fiery darts, darts being shot through, through, through media just so that you get focused on these fearful things and you cease to focus on the true enemy and you cease to proclaim the gospel. You cease to stay in faith. You cease to stay in the word of God because you are distracted by the little fires that are going on everywhere. And this is what the enemy has done. But see, we have to stay in faith. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things Hope for. It's the evidence of things not seen. In other words, when I'm facing a circumstance, when I'm facing the fear of sickness or death or financial loss or whatever it may be, I have got to get a word from God. I've got to go to scripture and I've got to marry my heart to the unseen word of God. Maybe I'm literally seeing a physical circumstance right now that is overwhelming in my life but I've got to take hold of God's word and put a greater faith in this and say that this unseen word of God even though I don't see it right now it is the substance of the things that I'm hoping for it is the evidence of things that I do not yet see and I will hold on to the truth of God's word and believe that to be true in the face of my current seen reality because the word of God is always more true and more powerful than anything that I can see with my natural eye and that is what faith does Faith takes hold of the unseen Word of God and says, this is my reality, this is the truth, and it holds on to it in the midst of every circumstance. And when you are in faith, when you have your heart married to the word of God, that shield of faith comes up. And no matter the enemy could throw sickness at you, he could throw death at you, he could throw fear of loss, he could throw fear of uh, of your family being harmed, he can throw all these fiery darts at your mind, but in your mind you have something stronger. You have faith in God's word that God is going to protect you, God is going to watch over you, He's going to provide all of your needs according to His riches and glory, and you believe that the word of God is more powerful than the current circumstances that you are and, facing, and you are keeping your shield up. So you've got to ask yourself, am I currently now in faith or am I succumbing to these fiery darts of fear, to the voice of fear? Am I giving in to them? Am I in the word of God believing? One, one movie that I used to like when I was a kid was called Independence Day. And you remember it was the one where Will Smith, he, he, he punched the alien. He said, welcome to Earth. We always joked about that. But in that movie, if you remember, they tried to shoot all these missiles at the, the, the big alien spaceship. And none of them could get through. None of them could be penetrated from the outside. But what they figured out is they needed to go on the inside in order to bring down the shield. And see, in the same way Satan understands that if he's going to bring down your shield, he's got to get inside. He's got to get in your heart. He's got to get in your mind to sow fear and doubt and unbelief and mistrust in God and when he does that you get out of the Word of God you get out of faith and your shield goes down and he begins to infect you with the media with all sorts of lies with all sorts of fears and whenever that gets into your heart you're no longer standing in faith you're standing in doubt and unbelief and fear comes in depression comes in anxiety comes in and all of a sudden you're distant from God but what we got to do as a people right now is we got to say you know what I'm gonna turn the media off just for a minute I'm gonna I'm not I'm not gonna listen to the report uh, of the doctor as much. Listen, we don't reject reports of the doctor, but we just say there is a report that is greater than the doctor's report, than the news report. The report of the Lord is the report that we're going to hold on to and we're going to keep our shield of faith up to believe for God in these circumstances and in these times. So you got the voice of accusation. You got the voice of fear. Thirdly, you have the voice of hopelessness. Now, this one is a voice that is very prevalent as well today. Matter of fact, there is a phrase going around that has been going around for a while that I believe is is honestly it, it, it's it's a demonic phrase and it is a new normal, a new normal, and everybody has said that phrase and so so it's it's it seems harmless. But at the end of the day, I feel like what the enemy has done during this time of pandemic and political unrest and all of these things is he's tried to place a blanket of hopelessness over the globe. He's trying to say that, hey, the new normal is disease. The new normal is death. The new normal is depression. The new normal is poverty and economic shutdown and collapse and poverty, and unrest, and political upheaval, and violence. And right now, we actually see in our society an increase in depression, and mental health issues, and even suicide has spiked because people are hopeless. And when they look at the situation of the world with the pandemic, and their jobs, and their safety, and everything that's going on, hopeless is slowly beginning to lay on the people. And it is the sway of the wicked one to bring us into a place where we no longer have hope. The voice of hopelessness, it seeks to convince you that things are not going to get better in your life, that the future is only going to be worse, that nothing is ultimately going to change, and this is the way it's always going to be, and there's nothing that you can do to change it. The voice of hopelessness seeks to discourage you, to depress you, to isolate you and ultimately cause you to give up. Satan wants you to lay down your weapons to give up, to no longer push forward and to no longer have any hope. But the voice of God comes to encourage you, to strengthen you, to give you a hope and a future. God has plans for you and I and he he, He desires to give us a hope and a future. Our God is a God of hope. And this is why Paul says in Ephesians 6 17, he says, when you're fighting this battle, he said, one of the things you got to keep on is you got to keep on the helmet of salvation. You have got to protect your head. And it's a helmet that is a helmet of salvation. This, this word salvation, in the Greek language, it's soteria or sozo. But it's more, when we think about salvation, we think about not going to hell when we die. And that's one great aspect of it, thank God. But it is not ultimately what it's used for and not what it's Primarily used for in Scripture. It, it means to deliver... It means to preserve. It means to heal, to make whole. It means to protect and watch over. When we talk about salvation, Jesus' name in, in, in the Hebrew language is Yeshua. It means Yahweh is salvation. Jesus is salvation. He represents what salvation means. And so many people came to Him and they'd had no hope before in their life. But when they began to hear stories about Jesus, hope sparked in their life once again. They believed, if I can just go and just touch the hem of His garment... This disease that I've had for 18 years, I know that I'll be made whole. And when they touched just the hem of his garment, not just hope was released, but faith was released and they were healed. As many as touched him were made completely made whole. Women and men who had lost their children, who had died, they came and they had hope once again that their children would be raised to life. And they went to Jesus and Jesus didn't just instill hope, but he brought restoration. He brought healing. He raised the dead. Every person that went to Jesus, they saw healing. They saw salvation. They saw forgiveness. They saw deliverance and Jesus infused hope into all the world around him because they knew that there was a potential for very good things to come. That's what hope is. See, God is a God of unimaginable hope, no matter what situation you are in. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, see, it talks about that helmet of salvation. And it says it like this, that you got to keep on, he says, the breastplate of faith and love, but also as a helmet, The hope of salvation. See, hope is so essential to our life as Christians. Hope is a joyful expectation of good things to come. It means that when you look into your future, when it comes to your family, when it comes to your addicted loved ones, when it comes to broken relationships, when it comes to our church, when it comes to our community, when it comes to America, when we look into the future, do we have a joyful expectation of good things to come? And if we don't, we have to ask ourselves, what voice am I listening to right now? Because God wants you to keep a helmet on that is the hope of salvation. And see, what I want you to understand is no matter what we go through, we are not going to surrender to the negative thoughts and the depressing thoughts and the oppressing thoughts, but we're going to keep a helmet that is going to protect our thought life. We're going to stay positive. We're going to stay in the hope of God because we know that no matter how dark things get, no matter how bad things get, God is still on the throne and God still has a plan for His children and we're not going to be deceived into listening to the lies of the enemy and bowing down and getting depressed and week, but we are going to stand in hope knowing that good things are coming. Listen, folks, I don't care. We, we're going to get through the coronavirus. We're going to get through any kind of shutdown. We're going to get through this economic season and we are going to come out stronger and better. Your family is going to come out stronger and better, but you cannot give up. You cannot bow down to the voice of fear or hopelessness or accusation. You have to listen to the voice of God and believe that good things are coming and that God is going to redeem. God, God is going to move in our nation. I know right now people think, man, our nation's just going so far in a different direction. God is raising up intercessors and prayer warriors and that people are standing in the gap for our nation and we are going to see a revival. We're going to see re- an awakening across our land and many people are going to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We're going to see it here in Clay County, in Laurel County, in southeastern Kentucky, and we're going to see it throughout our nation and throughout our globe. God is not done. He still has good things planned for His people and we need to pray. We need to stay in hope and we need to believe, see, because any area in your life where there is no hope, no matter what it is, it is under the influence of a lie and you are listening to the wrong voice. You need to get back into the presence of God, back into the word of God. You are a child of God. Keep your helmet on, protect your head, protect your thought life and understand that God is going to do you good. Lastly, number four is the voice of deception. See, Jesus warned that many voices would come, and these voices would be voices of deception. He said that they would actually be wearing sheep's clothing. In other words, he said they would, they would present themselves to you as one of Christ, as one of the sheep, one of the fold. They'd say, I'm a Christian, and it, it cracks me up when I, when I look at politicians and how every single one of them claim to be Christians. But he said, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. If you say you are a Christian, but you don't stand up for the unborn, you don't believe in sexual purity, you're not going to stand up for the oppressed, it is a dead giveaway. You're not standing up for the things that God stands up for. And you will know people by their fruits. But yet, see, people come with deception. They come with a voice of deception. They come in sheep's clothing saying, I represent Christ. But ultimately, you will know them by their fruits. What do they stand for? What do they believe? And better yet, what do they actually practice? On a daily basis, you'll know them by their fruits. But see, deception is running rampant in our world today. And deception has to do with being slowly, subtly led away from the truth. The problem with deception is, is that it is deceiving. It is not abundantly clear, wow, I'm being led astray. It's something that happens slow slow and subtly, and it changes over time. Now, the problem with human beings is is that we actually have a tendency to sometimes even desire to be deceived because we enjoy flirting with sin. Now, I did a word study on deception. I almost thought about preaching a message all alone by itself, but I wanted to, to, to show you just a few of the verses that I came across in the New, New Testament that are very interesting when it comes to deception. In 2 Timothy 3, 13... Paul tells Timothy a lot of things about deception, but he says, listen, Timothy, you're going to live in days when evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. And notice this. He says they will be deceiving and they themselves will be being deceived. See, when we talk about leaders in our world who are deceiving people, it's not just that they're deceiving. They are actually deceived themselves, believing their own lies. And that's the kind of world that we're living in is people are legitimately believing their own lies and believing that these lies are the right thing. But see this is why Paul goes on to tell him. He says, "Look, Timothy, the time is going to come when people are not going to endure sound doctrine. You're going to get up and try to preach the word of God, and you're going to read some of the scriptures that I'm writing to you to, to your congregation, and they're going to say, "No, we don't want to hear that anymore because that doesn't set with us, and we're going in a different direction. Yeah, we still are Christians, but we just don't believe what the word of God says on those issues." Let me tell you something. When you reject God's word, you have rejected God. And so we have to stay in Scripture to stay away from this deception. But notice, notice these verses. Because right now the cultural sway would love to make you believe that your actions and our actions as a nation have no consequence. But notice what it says in Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. It says, do not be deceived. It's so interesting to me what comes after Paul or the writers of the New Testament make these statements. He says, don't be deceived He's alerting you that there's a possibility of deception in this area of your life. He says, God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. Next verse. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Basically saying, don't be deceived, folks. When a person, when a church, when a nation begins to sow seeds of of godless behavior or whatever it may be, or ideologies that are against God, they are going to reap a harvest, but it is not going to be a good harvest. Consequences there are consequences to our actions. But see, there's also a sway in our culture that would love you to believe that you can be a Christian, but not actually obey and do the word of God. But James 1.22 says it like this. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. He's saying that you could deceive yourself as a Christian because you hear the word and claim to be a Christian, but you never actually put the word to practice in your life. Deception enters in. See, the sway of culture would also love you to believe that certain sins, they're really no big deal. And I've even sat down and talked with Christians and leaders who are pastors, and they've actually laughed when people talk about things like, well, maybe you should talk about sin more. You know, and they just sort of mock at that. They joke about it because really sin, they act like it's not that big of a deal. We shouldn't address certain sins. And, and, and we just shouldn't talk about that stuff. But here's what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6 Verse 9 and 10. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Next verse. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now the good news is the very next verse says... All of you, such such were some of you. We as Christian people, I used to be some of the things in this list. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ came and saved me and by the power of His Holy Spirit, not only did He draw me to a place of repentance, but He gave me a new heart and a new mind and He empowered me to say no to these sins and to live a different life. It's not by my own good works or my own righteousness, but it's by His grace and it's by His power. But see, we have got to say, look folks, there are certain behaviors. Do not be deceived if you practice these things no matter what you feel like you were born into no matter what you've been struggling with your whole life you cannot continue to practice these things because Jesus has died for your sin the same way he died for my sin on the cross and we are called to repent of these things so that we can inherit the kingdom and whatever we lay down for the kingdom's sake and for Christ's sake not only will he set us free from it he will empower us to live without it and live free from it and he will give us life eternal and joy forevermore and that's what we're going to experience do not be deceived with the cultural Trend in the sway. Ephesians five five eleven says it like five through seven says it like this: For this you know that no fornicator, no unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He's saying the same thing in a different way. Next verse, he says this: Let no one deceive you with empty words, because there are so many empty words, empty voices that are speaking that are deceiving people and saying you don't really have to worry about those things. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And lastly, some church culture now, interestingly enough, they think it's very trendy to flirt with sinful behavior in order to win over some some folks. They think, you know what, we'll just kind of flirt with sin here, a little flirt with sin there. But see, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now, what am I saying here? As Christian people, we should embrace all people, regardless of their background, regardless of what we've done. Because if if we didn't, nobody would have ever been able to embrace me because I was a very sinful person. I lived away uh, from the ways of God. But ultimately, there comes a time when we as Christians have to understand that we cannot be yoked and walking in the same direction of people who have evil desires. We preach the gospel. We love people. We reach out to people. We bridge gaps. But we speak the truth in love and we call them to a place of repentance. And if they begin to walk with us and say, I'm going to try, I want to follow Jesus, then we will stick with them. But when they say, no, I still want to be a Christian, but I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. I don't want to do what the word of God says. When you try to link yourself up to those things, he says, don't be deceived. When you link yourself to these things, evil evil company will corrupt good habits. And listen, you are not going to win people by flirting with sinful behavior. Don't be deceived into believing that. What wins people is the Spirit of God, the truth of God, the power of God, the Word of God, and above all things, the love of God. And so we have to fight for those things and not be deceived in our hour. But here's why. Without Scripture, this is why I read Scripture. Because without Scripture, we have no truth on which to resist and fight against deception. And this is why Paul says, the last one I'm covering today, in Ephesians six seventeen he says that when this battle, you have got to take not only the helmet of salvation, but you've got to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, if you don't, if you're not in the Bible, if you're not in the word of God, you don't have a weapon. You don't have the sword. And anybody who enters into a battle, like, like if you were getting ready to go into a battle legitimately and you had a sword and you had never used that sword before in your life, odds are you're not going to be very good with it. You're probably going to end up getting hurt bad. But see, that's why you have to use your sword. You have to practice with your sword. You've got to open the Bible. You've got to read. You've got to meditate. You've got to study. And you've got to compare what the Scripture says in its context over and against what our culture is currently telling you to believe. It's so important that you know what God's Word says on these issues so that you have a leg to stand on. And you're not deceived when somebody who has a very silver, silvery smooth tongue comes in and tries to subtly get you to embrace an ideology that is over and against Scripture. And so we have to stand in the Word of God because the Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the spirit and the soul and the joints and the marrow. Now, I want you to understand when we talk about the word, the word word in the Greek language, there's three words. There's graphe, which has to do with the actual physical book. There's logos, which has to do with the contents of the book. And then there is rhema, which has to do with the spoken word of God. And what he says, he says, this is the rhema word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema word of God, the spoken word of God. In other words... Jesus Christ himself when he was tempted by Satan and Satan brought accusation against him and Satan brought temptation against him and Satan brought lies against him and he tempted Jesus Jesus didn't say well I feel like or, or "or or this is what's happening around me no every single time he responded it is written that means he had the word of God he had the Bible in his heart and with every lie and every deception that came to Jesus he taught us how to respond to the voice of deception and that is what the voice of the Word of God, we declare it is written. Because see, if you have the Word of God, the Logos of God, in your heart, the Holy Spirit, whenever temptation comes, whenever the voice of deception comes, the Holy Spirit will take hold of that sword of the Word of God that is in your heart and He will pull it out and He will cause you to speak it out of your mouth. And when you speak that Word of God out of your mouth, it is a powerful weapon against the enemy. And we have got to speak the truth of God's Word in our life to resist the voices that are fighting against us today. And I'm tell you something, folks, speak God's Word out of your mouth. When the enemy comes and the voices lick, but there's all kinds of disease and danger all around. Yeah, but we still believe in Psalm 91 that no evil shall befall us and neither shall any pl- plague come near our dwelling place. And here's the truth, even if I do catch coronavirus or whatever may come in my life, uh, the scripture says I will live and I will not die and I will declare the works of the Lord. We stand on the word of God. The enemy says, but the economy's bad. Y'all ain't going to have enough resources, but we know that the scripture says that God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. And then the enemy says, says, but there's so many things that you need to be afraid of. But we declare in his face, it is written, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Oh, but I'm going to come after your children, that voice of hopelessness says. But see, the scripture says that all of our children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of our children. We pull the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we come against the enemy and we resist all accusation, all fear, all hopelessness and deception. Right now, folks, What you've got to ask yourself is what voice am I listening to? You have got to turn off every other voice in your life, and you've got to come into the presence of God the Father, the one who loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross for your sin, so that you might be saved. And some of you that are listening right now, you may be hearing the voice of God for the first time, and Jesus is calling you to receive Him, to receive His salvation, to repent of your sin, and just to confess Him as Lord, to believe that He died for your sin on the cross, that He was buried, that He raised again from the dead on the third day and now he has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father and he is coming again to judge the living and the dead and he is going to come back for those who have Stood in the truth and said, we're not going with you, devil. We're not going with the sway of this culture, with the sway of this world. We're going to resist those lies. We're going to resist those temptations. We're going to resist that sway. And we are going to stick with Jesus because we are followers of Jesus. And so if that's you, if, wherever you're at, maybe some of you just, need to, you just need to come back into the presence of God once again. But no matter what it is, I want you to respond to the Lord where you're at. I want to pray for you together as we close. Father, we're just grateful for your word and for your presence. And Lord, we know that all of these voices right now are at work in our world, the voice of accusation. The voice of fear, the voice of hopelessness, and Lord, the voice of deception. But God, your voice, I pray that it would become more powerful than every other voice in this world right now. God, we've got an election coming up, and I'm just praying, Lord, that you would raise up men and women and put them into office that will hear the voice of truth and they will speak and be a voice of truth in our nation. Because God, we are praying that not only will people be saved right now as they're listening and they would confess you as Lord and repent, but God, we pray. Pray that there would just be an outpouring of your spirit across our nation, that many souls would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But Lord, for each person right now under the sound of my voice, would you draw us back into your presence, back into communion with you, back into your word, God, so that we could once again hear your voice, know who you are, and move forward in wisdom, God, in the direction and the will that you have. For our lives, God, because you are a voice of comfort. You're a voice of truth and encouragement, God. You're a voice of strength and of hope, Lord God. And ultimately, you're the only voice that we need to hear. Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We give you thanks and praise for all that you're doing. And God, we just speak blessing over each listener today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for tuning in and being with us this morning.